afternoon, everyone. This is Josh Lopez. Today is March 16th. I'm going to call the 230 case uh, jointly administered under 23-90116, Diamond Sports Group, LLC, here on first day motions. Um, hope everyone's doing okay. Uh, there are, the line is completely muted at this time. I have I believe debtors' counsel is unmuted, at least some of them. I'm going to go ahead and start with appearances from debtors' counsel. I'm going to call out a group to see if we can do this in an organized fashion. If I unmute your line, I'm going to ask that you please just make your appearance and then mute your line. I'll keep your line uh, unmute, unmuted throughout the hearing, but I'm going to ask everyone to please kind of monitor your uh, your own personal phone there, uh, or your line. So with that, let me get started. Uh, anyone from Debtors Council line unmuted at this time? Uh, good afternoon, Your Honor. Brian Herman from Paul Weiss, Griffin, Wharton, and Garrison on behalf of the debtors. It's nice to see you, and thank you for taking time uh, to be with us today. Good afternoon. Um, I am joined, thank you. Uh, I am joined by a number of my colleagues, uh, who will present today, uh, as well as our co-counsel uh, at Wilmer Hale, Mr. Andy Goldman, who will also present today, and our uh, Texas co-counsel uh, at Porter Hedges, Mr. Higgins. Okay. If there are anyone who's going to present today from the debtor's side, um, why don't you just hit five star now and let me unmute your line. Um, your Honor, we're all in the same room. Oh, so that, makes it my, that makes my life easier. <laughs> Appreciate yeah. it. Uh, I'd also note uh, for everyone who is appearing as well in this case, uh, if you go to my personal site uh, in the Southern District of Texas, you'll see, click here to make an electronic appearance, and there is a link for this case. So if you just want to make an electronic appearance, that is more than just fine. Um, Okay, so let me then turn and start unmuting. I'm unmuting a 917-414 number. Uh, good, good afternoon, Your Honor. It's uh, Scott Greenberg, Gibson, Dunn, and Crutcher, uh, on behalf of a group of lenders holding first lien uh, claims and second lien claims. Are, I think we've captioned it the ad hoc secured lender group, and I'm joined by partner, uh, Jason Goldstein, who should also be on the video. Okay. Good afternoon, Mr. Greenberg. Okay. Uh, let's see where I go next. There's a 212715 number. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Can you hear me? Just fine. Good afternoon. Hi. This is Daniel Eggerman from Kramer 11. I'm assuming you're calling my number. Um, we represent a group, an ad hoc group of first lien lenders. Uh, I'm joined by my colleagues Alexander Wolverton and Jennifer Charette, as well as co-counsel uh, Ashley Harper from the Hunt and Nangers Kurth firm. Okay. Good afternoon. Okay. This is another two one two number. I'm unmuting your line. Okay. There's a two one two five five eight number. Yes. Uh, good afternoon, Your Honor. This is uh, James Bromley of Sullivan and Cromwell. 
appearing on behalf of the Office of the Commissioner of Major League Baseball and 14 constituent clubs. Okay. Good afternoon, sir. Uh, let's see where we go next. There's a 713 number, Houston number, 857. Good afternoon, Your Honor. This is Bruce Wazinski with the Jackson Walker Firm, uh, appearing on behalf of the National Basketball Association and its affiliates, including member teams that are parties to telecast agreements with the debtors. And uh, with me virtually is my co-counsel, uh, Vincent Indelicato, at the Prescott Rose Firm. Okay. Good afternoon. Okay, there's a 202 number, 590. Good afternoon, Yana. How into the U.S. trustee? All right, I got the trustee early. Good, I'm glad I uh, got you in. Good afternoon, Mr. Wynn. All right, here's a 92, uh, 929 number. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Alexander Wolverton from Kramer 11. Mr. Eggerman already made his appearance on my behalf. Great. Good afternoon, Mr. Wolverton. 713547 number. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Uh, Kelly Norfleet from Haynes and Boone on behalf of the National Hockey League. Uh, I'm joined on the phone by our co-counsel, Shauna Elberg from Skadden Arts. I believe she's also pressed five stars, so you'll get to her line and we'll call. Okay. Good afternoon. And again, um, you can make your appearance now, or you can reserve it until the appropriate time. Um, and you can also make an electronic appearance as well. Um, 312 number. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Uh, David Seligman from Kirkland and Ellis on behalf of Sinclair Broadcasting. Okay. Good afternoon, Mr. Seligman. Okay. Uh, I'm going to quit while I'm ahead and then search it again. Um, let me turn things over to, let's see. Yeah. I'm going to turn it over to the debtors at this time. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, again, for the record, Brian Herman from Paul Weiss on behalf of the debtors. Uh, Your Honor, we have a presentation that we'd like to uh, share at the outset to introduce the court to uh, who we are, why we're here, and where we're going with the case. And uh, if we could put the presentation on screen, uh, I think it would be helpful. And we have uh, a presentation box on the screen. If we can share the screen with that box, we can pop up the presentation. I don't know whose idea it was, but it was a really smart one. It was easy to find, so much appreciated. <laughs> Thank you, Your Honor. I have made. All right. Great. Thank you. Um, so, Your Honor, I want to start by first introducing uh, two of the company's uh, executives who are in the virtual courtroom today. Uh, first, uh, Mr. David Preschlack, who is our uh, CEO and is also a member of our board of directors. Uh, second, and uh, Mr. Preschlack is on the video screen. Mm -hmm. uh, second, is Mr. David DeVoe, who is with us in the conference room. Uh, Mr. DeVoe is the Chief Operating Officer 
and Chief Financial Officer uh, of the company, and he is also the first state declarant. Okay. Um, <laughs> we're, we're struggling to get the presentation up, but I'll continue with the introduction. Um, so, Your Honor, as I mentioned, uh, our co-counsel uh, is with us, uh, Mr. Goldman and his colleagues from uh, Wilmer, uh, who has proposed special corporate and litigation counsel. Uh, Porter Hedges, our proposed Texas counsel. Uh, Molas and Company is our uh, one of our two proposed uh, investment bankers. Uh, Lion Tree is the other uh, proposed investment banking firm. And we also have Alex Partners, which is our financial advisor. Your Honor, in addition to uh, the debtors, uh, we obviously, and you've heard uh, some of the appearances, we've got uh, a few organized creditor groups that I'd like to introduce. Uh, first, we have an ad hoc uh, first lien group that is represented by Kramer Levin and Centerview Partners as their investment banker, and that group owns north of 50% of the first lien, and that is the group that we principally negotiated our consensual use of cash collateral with. We also have uh, an ad hoc uh, secured lender group or a second lien lender group uh, that is represented by Mr. Greenberg at Gibson Dunn and Evercore as their investment banker. And then we have what we call our ad hoc crossover group, which is uh, a group that holds uh, instruments across the capital structure but uh, principally is a large unsecured uh, creditor group. And that group is represented by Paul Hastings and PJT Partners as their investment banker. In addition, Your, Your Honor, uh, you heard from Kirkland Ellis, which represents Sinclair Broadcasting. Sinclair, uh, in addition to being our parent company and the 100% owner of all of the equity uh, in the company, is also our uh, receivables facility lender. Um, we do not have uh, before you today a motion to approve our continued uh, receivables facility borrowing arrangement with Sinclair. Um, we hope to be able to bring that before Your Honor um, probably in advance of the second day hearing, but we'll, we'll come back to you and seek a date uh, if we need one in advance of the second day hearing. But that is a facility that is provided by Sinclair through which they, uh, through a special purpose vehicle that we set up, purchase our receivables and advance against them for liquidity purposes. If you go to the next slide, um, we also have, and you've heard from some of uh, the attorneys uh, today, uh, we have uh, among our key stakeholders three leagues, baseball, basketball, and hockey. Uh, we have a number of teams within those leagues that we do business with and broadcast games for including 14 Major League Baseball teams, 16 basketball teams, and 12 hockey teams. And then we have our distribution partners uh, who we uh, sell the broadcast through to reach the customers, the fans, and those are both our MVPD partners and our VMVPD partners. Um, I will uh, readily admit, Your Honor, that I had never heard the term MVPD before, but it is a widely used term in this business, and it means multi-channel video programming distributors. 
we would call them cable companies um, in, in our, you know, regular parlance, but these are the folks that bundle a bunch of channels, including ours, uh, into a package and distribute it to uh, customers uh, through uh, cable uh, or satellite TV. And then we have our B MVPD partners, which are virtual MVPDs, uh, which, you know, people will refer to as coming over the top, uh, which uh, through mobile devices and the like, and, and we have uh, contracts with DirecTV and Fubo, among others. Last but certainly not least, Your Honor, among the key stakeholders, um, maybe the most important, are our fans. Um, as you well know, Your Honor, I think you're an uh, avid uh, sports fan, a Yankees fan, as I understand it. Um, we have many millions of fans, 40.6 million subscribers to be precise, uh, who rely on us to broadcast their games locally in their markets. And as I'll show you in a, in a bit uh, on a map, uh, our reach is vast. We cover 70% uh, of total U.S. households through 87 broadcast markets, and there are a lot of eyes, let's just say, on the product that we provide. Flip to the next slide. Before I get into who we are uh, in further detail, Your Honor, um, I just want to choreograph a bit how I think the order of the presentations will go. Um, after I speak, Mr. Goldman will have some brief remarks, so I'll turn the podium over to him if that's okay. And then, as I understand it, there are a number of parties uh, who would like to speak following the debtor with brief opening remarks, mostly in support. Um, there may be a few who may have other things to say that perhaps are not necessarily against us, but maybe not quite as supportive as some of uh, the parties. But I think if we can have the supporting parties uh, go after us, I think that would be everybody's preference, if that's okay with you, Your Honor. That makes sense. Okay, great. Going to the next slide, um, in terms of an overview of the company, um, Your Honor, we operate what are called regional sports networks, and what those are are uh, sports networks that broadcast games locally. Um, so we are not ESPN, we are not ABC, um, but we broadcast the games into the markets where the people live who like to watch these games. Um, if you think of uh, our market here, in, in New York, it's the equivalent of Sports New York's uh, SNY or Yes Network, which carries uh, the Yankees and the Nets. Um, and these uh, regional uh, sports networks uh, operate un for us under the Bally Sports uh, brand. Um, the uh, Bally RSNs, as I said, broadcast uh, Major League Baseball games for 14 teams basketball games, uh, professional basketball games for 16 teams, and then hockey games uh, for 12 teams, comprising 42 uh, <clears throat> total professional sports teams uh, across the three leagues. Uh, Diamond also owns, uh, through uh, partnership with uh, owners of Marquee and the Yes Network, a 50% interest in Marquee, which broadcasts the Cubs uh, in baseball, and 20% of the Yes Network which, as I'm sure you know, uh, broadcast the Yankees uh, and the Brooklyn Nets. If you go to the next slide, you can see the reach uh, of our company is vast. Uh, we span the entire United States where these sports are played. We're on both coasts. We have a 
best presence in the South and in the Midwest, and I think basically touch every major sports market in the country. In terms of our history, Your Honor, I won't dwell on all of this, but perhaps some uh, key points. First, uh, these RSNs started life uh, back in 1996 as uh, what I remember is Fox Sports Net, um, and then evolved into what is now Valley Sports through a series of transactions, the first being uh, Disney's acquisition of Fox, uh, which was announced in December 2017, closed in 2019. Um, but importantly for us, uh, as part of that transaction, the Department of Justice at the time required Disney to divest its RSNs. And so it's through that divestiture that uh, Diamond came into being uh, and was acquired by Sinclair Broadcasting in August 2019 uh, from Disney as part of the divestiture. And uh, Sinclair then took over 100% of the operation of what had been these Fox regional sports networks. Uh, post that acquisition, Your Honor, in uh, March of 2021, Diamond rebranded the uh, RSNs under the Valley Sports name, which they operate under today. Subsequent to that, in March of 2022, uh, Diamond raised new capital of $635 million from a group of first lien lenders, uh, and that uh, money was principally to be used to grow its digital business, which I'll get into in a little bit and why that's important. Also significant, and you'll hear a lot about uh, during my presentation today, in May of 2022, as, as part of that financing, Diamond's board was reconstituted to include or to be a majority independent board so that although Sinclair owned 100% of the stock, control was given to independent board members, and those are the board members that continue to uh, run the company today. And then in September of 2022, just to round out the picture on the operations side, uh, Diamond launched what we call Valley Sports Plus, which is our digital business. And you'll hear more about why that digital business is so important in, in a few minutes. Your Honor, on the next slide, we wanted to point out that while we own 19 uh, RSNs, own and operate 19 RSNs, um, 13 of those are uh, owned by debtors. Six of those are owned by joint ventures in which the debtor owns a majority interest, but not all of the uh, joint venture. In those cases, the uh, co-owners are baseball teams, although we own the majority. And then I mentioned the joint venture uh, that we interest that we have in Marquee and Yes Network. And it's important to note, Your Honor, the joint ventures are not debtors in bankruptcy. The diamond entities that own the majority interest in the joint ventures are debtors, but the joint ventures themselves are not debtors. To go to the next slide, this slide just shows which teams are owned by debtor RSNs by league and which teams are owned by uh, the joint ventures that are not debtors in this bankruptcy case. The next slide is our corporate chart couple of things that are worth pointing out. Uh, first, uh, through the color of 
different colored boxes, it denotes which are debtors, which are the red boxes, which are joint ventures, which are the blue boxes, and where you could find yes and marquee. Off to the left, those are the green boxes. In addition, the circled box towards the top is the borrower on the funded debt. That's the $8.8 billion approximately of funded debt that the company has. And that's also where the independent board that I mentioned sits. And then we've also included the team logos to make it easy so you can see the different uh, uh, diamond entities and the different teams that those entities broadcast sports games for. As I said at the outset uh, or earlier, uh, Diamond uh, sells its programming through uh, the MVPDs or the cable companies, as I called them. Um, those are referred to in, in, in the industry as linear broadcasters, the linear being sort of the old line way of distributing uh, uh, these broadcasts. And what these uh, MVPDs do, as I said, is they bundle a bunch of different channels that we're all used seeing, and then they sell it to the consumer in a bundle. Um, and Diamond has historically generated most of its revenue through these uh, distributors. And um, as I also mentioned, they, we are now moving to include virtual MVPD partners as well, as that is the way the world is moving. I can tell you, just as an, as an anecdote, the other night I was trying to watch the UCLA-Arizona game. and. Unfortunately, the Pac-12 network is not part of my bundle, but uh, if I had purchased Fubo TV, Fubo TV, I would have been able to watch the Pac-12 network. And so that's the kind of uh, virtual-type programming that I think um, we're ultimately evolving towards, and that's where this business is ultimately going to evolve towards as well. Um, <clears throat> in terms of the digital business, Your Honor, which is where we would like to evolve the business to and have already started. Um, as I mentioned, we uh, launched a digital business in September of 2022 under the Valley Sports Plus uh, plan. And that is really to deal with the reality of the world today, which is that there are two types of people that are moving us away from cable. There are what we call cord cutters who are stopping their cable subscriptions to get their entertainment uh, through streaming or other means. And then there are cord nevers, like my 21-year-old son, who would never subscribe to cable. Um, he would just watch, whether it's Netflix or Hulu or some subscription service like that. And with respect to sports, um, he would just go find some way to stream a baseball game or a basketball game would not bother with a cable subscription. Um, that is the business that we are uh, going to grow into uh, to make up for the loss of the cable customers that I'll get into more detail about in a bit. On the next slide, we have identified the teams for which we have today the digital rights to, uh, uh, to exploit the, these broadcasts on the Valley Sports Plus product. We have five baseball teams. We have all the NBA teams that we broadcast linearly, and then we have 12 NHL teams, all of the teams that we broadcast linearly for the NHL. The next slide, Your Honor, just summarizes our debt. Um, we have uh, just, I'll take you through the, 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 the totals of each. 
We have about $630 million of first lien debt. We have about $6.5 billion of second lien debt comprised of both notes and uh, bank debt. We have a small amount of third lien debt that just is a remnant from an exchange transaction that was done uh, last year. We have about $1.7 billion of unsecured notes. And then there is the AR facility I mentioned with Sinclair, which is about $192.5 million. All in, excluding the Sinclair debt, it's about $8.8 .8 billion of debt. So why are we here? Um, Your Honor, it's basically two reasons. One is obvious from the previous slide. We have too much debt. Um, and the good, good news there is we have an agreement with most of our creditors to eliminate virtually all of it. Um, second, we pay more for the rights to broadcast the teams than we're able to get from the distributors. And we need to fix that. And we've got some ideas as to how to fix it. But let me just explain what I mean by we pay more than we get from the distributors. As I mentioned, the uh, agreements we have with our MVPD partners are the, is the principal means for which we generate revenue. And we are being hurt, as they are being hurt, by the loss of cable subscribers. Just to point to a couple of statistics, Your Honor. Um, the number of households in the United States that subscribe to uh, MVPDs uh, has gone from 83 million in 2019 when this transaction uh, was when uh, Sinclair acquired Diamond closed to 62 million in 2022, and it's continuing to decline. We have felt that decline. Our own subscribers has declined by about 22 million dollars since 2019. Um, we have also lost carriage or distribution uh, with several of our distributors uh, since the transaction closed. Most impactfully, Dish Network, Hulu Plus, and Sling TV, um, and that has hurt our ability to generate revenue. And together, those two factors, the, what we call subscriber churn or, or uh, loss of subscribers and the loss of distributors, has resulted in about a 24% decline in revenue from 2019 to 2022. On the flip side, Your Honor, most of the rights payments that we make are covered by uh, agreements that were entered into uh, a while ago, in some instances a long time ago. Some of them even still bear the Fox name in the contract, so that tells you how long ago. And they're long-term agreements in many cases. And so we are stuck with a legacy cost structure and a declining revenue structure on the linear side. And to just highlight a few of the, of the key metrics with respect to baseball, uh, the contracts, some of the contracts go out to 2035, and the average remaining length is six years. With respect to basketball, some of the contracts go out to 2030 and have an average remaining length of three years. And with respect to hockey, uh, also 2030 and an average remaining uh, length of two years. So um, that gives you, I think, a, a good picture of the cost side and the revenue side. And we need to do something to address that. 
Um, on the next slide, I want to point out what we have done thus far to address that, and that is to grow our digital business. And to grow our digital business, uh, which is where the world is moving, uh, requires capital. And that capital was scarce uh, for Diamond until our lenders came along, or a group of our lenders came along in March of 2022 and loaned us an additional $635 million in part, in large part, to go build a digital business. Because they too knew that that was uh, the way for Diamond to sort of evolve uh, into the next level. Um, those, uh, that $635 million of debt was put in at the very top of the capital structure. Those are our first lien lenders. The old first lien lenders at the time exchanged into second lien debt. Those are our second lien lenders. Um, anyone who didn't participate in the exchange was pushed to the third lien. That's a small amount of third lien uh, debt, so it tells you that there was high participation in the exchange. And then lastly, the unsecured notes were unaffected by this financing. They just they just remained in place. As I mentioned, a, a key component of the financing was the lender's desire, if they're going to put the money in, to ensure that Diamond had a majority independent board. And so that, again, although Sinclair owned 100% of the equity, the board would control Diamond and it would be independent. And in that way, the decision-making would be independent. That was very important to the lenders. In fact, it was so important, they made it a covenant of the loan. And what the covenant basically required is that uh, two independent, we call them managers because it's an LLC, but they're essentially the equivalent of boards of, a board of directors. Two independent managers were selected by the lenders uh, under the first lien credit agreement. One independent manager was mutually selected by the lenders and Sinclair, and then one independent manager was appointed by Sinclair, and then we had the Sinclair CEO, Mr. Chris Ripley. And that's the five-member board that was put in place as part of the financing in March of 2022, and that is the five-member board that continues to uh, be in place today. And so with that money, Your Honor, we were able to go to the leads and negotiate for the right to exploit the teams that, that we have digitally. Um, we were able to get all the teams, as I said, with, that we had with, uh, with the NBA and NHL to give us the right to exploit digitally. Uh, we were able to get five Major League Baseball teams of the 14, so there's nine out there that we don't have that we'd like to have, but that's, that was our start. Um, once we had the financing and the digital rights, um, we had uh, two uh, essential tasks left, substantial, uh, to be fair, but, but uh, two remaining tasks left uh, to, to the, get us to the other side. One is to launch and grow the DTC business. We launched it in September of last year. It's continuing to grow, and we, we look forward to its continued growth. And the second was to restructure the balance sheet because we just had too much debt. Uh, and those tasks, Your Honor, among many others, fell to Diamond's independent board uh, together with its advisors. And to continue the sequence beyond the March 22 loan, um, in May of 22, the board was seated, so four independents and uh, 
uh, Mr. Ripley is Sinclair's CEO. The board engaged Paul Weiss as its counsel. In September of 2022, the company engaged Molus and Lion Tree to advise on the restructuring uh, and potential strategic transactions. And although we don't have any retention applications up today, uh, nor should we, um, you might be asking yourself, why two investment bankers? And I will tell you, Your Honor, this is a very difficult situation and case. And it's difficult because of the restructuring involved, which is where Molus has principally taken the lead. And it's difficult in terms of the work we're going to need to do to evolve the business to the digital uh, business, continue, obviously, to export the rights linear linearly, and figure out what strategic investor or what capital we can attract from strategics, and then ultimately what is the exit for the new owners of the business. And there is not an investment bank that is better in this space than LionTree. And that's why we have two investment banks. Um, in December of 2022, uh, we formed a conflicts committee of the board to evaluate transactions, historic transactions between Diamond and Sinclair, given that we, we sort of knew, and our RSA makes it clear, that as part of a restructuring, we were likely to separate from Sinclair uh, and we needed to have independent uh, board uh, members and independent counsel investigate what transactions had transpired and to negotiate with Sinclair to the extent that we needed to negotiate with them. And so that's why the conflicts committee was formed. And then we, uh, a subset of that committee, uh, we call it the claims analysis subcommittee, was formed in January 23 to basically take ownership of our claims claims investigation to see whether there are claims against Sinclair. We don't know sitting here today that there are, but that committee was charged with investigating whether there are, and that committee is advised by Paul Weiss and Alex Partners. I've mentioned a lot about the, the independent board, Your Honor. I thought I would just explain who the, who the folks are because I think it's important. Um, I will tell you, I'm biased, but I will tell you that this is a stellar board and it, I don't think we can get better expertise for this company in this situation than what we have. So who are they? First, our chairman, Randy Freer, who is also a member of the Conflicts Committee and the Claims Analysis Subcommittee. Um, Mr. Freer used to be the CEO of Hulu. So if anybody understands streaming, he does. Uh, and he happens to have been the former president and CEO of the Fox Network. Um, and so he knows these RSNs really well because he used to run them when they were part of Fox. David Preschlack, who I introduced at the outset, is our uh, chief executive officer. He's also a member of the board. Uh, he was the former president of NBC Sports Regional Networks. That's NBC has its own uh, regional networks, much like our regional networks, but smaller. Um, again, if anybody knows this business, he does. Um, Marianne Turk, who comes to us out of the NFL, where she's had senior leadership roles uh, within the National Football League. Bob Wissett, who comes to us uh, from many years spent uh, as the president and general manager of some of the most successful sports teams 
uh, we've seen, uh, certainly in, in our life, uh, the Supersonics, the Trailblazers, and the Seahawks. And then Chris Ripley, who I mentioned, is Sinclair's CEO uh, and president. And as I said at the outset of this slide, this is a great board. And we are in really great hands, Your Honor. We also recognize that it's very difficult for a board to run a company um, day to day. We have a management agreement with Sinclair. You'll hear more about that at a later hearing. Uh, it's not for today. But we have a management agreement with Sinclair where they provide a lot of the nuts and bolts day-to-day -day management uh, uh, of the company, including a lot of back office uh, stuff. But we needed our own executive leadership. And so uh, starting in December of 2022, we embarked to go get that executive uh, leadership. We started with Mr. Preshlak. We asked him to become the CEO. The board asked him to become the CEO. He accepted uh, and is today our CEO. We then uh, found Mr. DeVoe, the first day declarant, who I mentioned is our chief operating officer and chief financial officer. Uh, we also recently hired in February uh, Eric Ratchman, who was appointed as our president of distribution and business development. And just earlier this month, we hired Meredith Powers, who is our chief human resources officer. So we are building our own management team and really positioning Diamonds to stand alone post this restructuring, which we're going to have to do. In terms of, uh, Your Honor, what did we do to fix problem number one, which is too much debt? Um, we engaged with our creditors, as one would expect uh, us to do in this situation. Um, our creditors have been very cooperative, and they have been really side-by-side -side with us since the late summer of 2022, which is when restructuring discussions with our organized creditors began. Um, in November of 2022, we asked uh, a number of those creditors to become restricted or sign uh, confidentiality agreements with us so that we could provide them with material non-public information and really engage on the substance of the restructuring. And given that we're sitting here today in March of 2023, these creditors stayed restricted with us for about five months, which, as you know from private practice, is virtually unprecedented. So these, are, these creditors have really worked with the company uh, to set us up for what we believe will be success. We also, Your Honor, obviously Sinclair owns 100% of the equity. There was going to have to be uh, concessions made by Sinclair, and there were going to be gives and takes uh, between the company and its creditors and Sinclair. That's in part why we formed uh, the uh, Conflicts Committee and the Claims Investigation Committee, but we had Sinclair at the table as well uh, as a participant in the discussions. And then in March uh, of this year, earlier this month, um, those discussions culminated in a restructuring support agreement that we were able to finalize uh, shortly after the filing with members of the organized creditor groups that hold the second lien and the crossover debt. Um, we had hoped to fold Sinclair into that restructuring support agreement. It didn't happen in time. We hope, we and the creditors hope, that we can fold them in after 
uh, we get through our first day hearing and, and intend to spend time with them to try to do that, uh, but we didn't get to it before the, before the case started. Um, in addition, we worked with Mr. Eggerman's clients, the first lien lenders, uh, on cash collateral use because this company has a lot of cash. Um, we don't need a dip. We don't have a dip. We are blessed with a lot of cash, and that cash uh, is collateral of the first lien lenders, and so we spent time uh, with Mr. Eggerman and his clients uh, negotiating consensual use of cash collateral and had very constructive discussions, which led to our fully consensual cash collateral order that we're presenting today. In addition, Your Honor, we engaged, as you'd expect, with our league and team partners because at the end of the day, we're broadcasting games for professional sports teams and leagues, and we need their cooperation. Um, so we engaged with all three uh, leagues at the league level as well as some of the team, individual teams, um, so Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL. Um, we had very constructive discussions with the NBA and the NHL, and I'm pleased to say have made good progress uh, in negotiations with each, and we are going to continue to work with each of those leagues and their representatives to try to get to an agreement that will allow us to position the company for long-term success. Um, our dialogue, candidly, with baseball has differed. I'm not going to address that. Mr. Goldman will address that when he gets up. Um, and given, Your Honor, the spirit of the cooperation in which the NBA and the NHL have operated, I want to be clear on the record um, so there's no doubt um, that we intend to pay uh, NBA and NHL uh, uh, teams that what we owe them for broadcast rights at least through the end of the season. Their season is obviously coming to a conclusion, at least the regular season. The playoffs then get broadcast nationally, so we're not involved in that. Obviously, baseball's in a different position with the season about to start. Um, but we do have in our budget uh, ordinary course payments to, uh, to NBA teams and NHL teams, and I wanted to make it clear that we intend to honor those arrangements at least through the end of this season. And by the way, I don't mean to imply that we're not going to honor them after the end of the season either. And I don't mean to imply that we're not going to pay other teams, but I just want to make it clear because they've been good partners that we intend to uh, take care of them for this season. And um, they had asked us to do that, and we were happy to do it. Um, going to the next slide, Your Honor, uh, with respect to Sinclair, as I said, we, we knew, or at least suspected, that when we enter into these restructuring discussions, we would need to separate from Sinclair, because their equity would either entirely or largely be wiped out. And um, although they're, they've been good partners in managing the business, they're, uh, they're, not they're not a charity, and so we didn't expect them to continue to manage a business that they didn't own. And so we knew that we would need to stand the business up uh, on its own, and we've been doing that. In addition to the management, uh, senior management that I identified, um, we have been working behind the scenes with Sinclair's cooperation to try to uh, emulate all the back office uh, things that Sinclair does for us so that we can do them for ourselves either once we emerge or shortly after uh, we emerge. We also engaged Deloitte in January of 2023 to help us 
to uh, provide consulting services to help stand the business up. And we've been in regular dialogue with the folks who provide the services from Sinclair so that we know exactly what we will need to be an independent, standalone business when we emerge from Chapter 11. In terms of uh, our investigation, Your Honor, I just wanted to briefly mention what the claims analysis section has been up to. So as I said, uh, we have two board members, Mr. Freer and Ms. Turk, who are on this subcommittee. They oversee Paul Weiss, Porter Hedges, and Alex Partners in uh, conducting this investigation. Um, to date, with Sinclair's cooperation, we have interviewed nine witnesses and reviewed about 35,000 documents. There will be many more that uh, I'm sure we will get and we will continue this work. It's not done. Um, but we will continue to interview witnesses and we will continue to review documents to see if the company has any claims that would be assets of these estates that would be available for creditors. So how did we get here? Um, Your Honor, we had to make a decision back in February, the first uh, decision point. We had two interest payments totaling $140 million that were due on February 15th for the 30-day grace period. And the board decided prudently not to make the payments. We were negotiating with our creditors. We knew the company was going to need to restructure. didn't make sense to make the payments. We knew that that was going to start a clock on how long we would have before we would need to file for bankruptcy. But that was a prudent decision, and we, uh, we did not make those payments in February. In addition, uh, we had a payment due to a baseball team on March 1st, the Arizona Diamondbacks, and we did not make that payment. Uh, we entered the grace period uh, with respect to that payment. Uh, that grace period expires, I think it's today, March 16th. Um, so the Diamondbacks were not paid. Uh, we have otherwise, um, prior to the petition date, uh, paid every single uh, team that we owe money to. There was one other payment that we missed to a uh, for college sports that we broadcast. But other than that, we were current with respect to every single one of our uh, broadcast partners. So, Your Honor, where are we going? Um, go to the next slide. Um, you know, first. I just want to point to the accomplishments that we've been able to, to, to make to date, just to emphasize a few. Um, we obviously have an independent board, senior management team, very happy about the leadership that we have put in place for the company. Um, we have agreements with the NBA and the NHL on streaming digital content for all the teams we carry. We have five baseball teams. We'd like to do better. Um, so we'll see what we can do there. Um, we have been as Agreements have come up. We've been negotiating renewals with uh, team partners. Uh, recently, we renewed the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Carolina Hurricanes, and the Los Angeles Clippers, and we'll continue to have those discussions as contracts come up for renewal. Uh, as I mentioned, we've been working cooperatively with Sinclair on a separation. We executed our RSA with our key creditors, and we continue to have a, a very constructive dialogue with the NBA and NHL on additional digital rights. So um, those are all things that we've got either in the rearview mirror or we are working towards achieving. 
In terms of our near-term and medium-term goals, um, we would obviously we need to reach agreements with our team and league partners on a path forward that includes expanded digital rights. That is important. We have a number of MVPD distribution agreements that will come due in the next 11 months, so we are going to need to renegotiate those deals with our uh, MVPDs that, that are, will become up for renewal. We obviously, and I'll get into specific timeline in a second, or at least proposed timeline, um, we uh, would like to pursue aggressively confirmation of the plan so that the company can emerge uh, expeditiously from bankruptcy. And we will uh, continue to work to separate from Sinclair, which we're going to need to do pursuant to our uh, proposed restructuring. Um, on the next slide, we've included an illustrative timeline. Um, it really contains some of the RSA milestones. I'll go through those in more detail in a, in a minute. Um, but it also overlays the uh, seasons for the different leagues because those seasons are in part going to drive our timing because, you know, for instance, we can't tell a, a league that is going to start its season in September or October that we'll see in September or October. We're going to have to pull that forward and advance those discussions so that those league partners know that we're there for them when, when their next season starts. In terms of the next slide, I just wanted to point out my partner, Mr. Parlin, will go into more detail on cash collateral. But as I said, we have a lot of cash. We have about $426 million of cash. We don't see that many debtors with that much cash, so that's a good thing. Um, we don't need debt financing. Um, we can live on existing cash, and we will continue to generate cash uh, throughout the case. And as I mentioned, we have the consensual use of our cash collateral. So I think we're in pretty good shape in terms of liquidity for the foreseeable future. In terms of the RSA, Your Honor, I just want to give you some of the highlights because I've mentioned it a few times. And um, I just want to give you the roadmap so that you understand what that document uh, provides for at a high level. Um, it's a framework. Uh, and it lays out proposed treatment for the key stakeholders uh, in the capital structure, and it also uh, lays out uh, a timeline. In terms of the treatment of creditors, um, the RSA proposes that our first lien lenders will be unimpaired, uh, that our second lien uh, lenders and our unsecured creditors will convert their, all of their debt to equity and warrants. So it's a massive delevering of the capital structure. And then we will separate from Sinclair, whose equity, uh, as I mentioned, will, uh, under this plan, will get wiped out. Um, and also, as I mentioned, we are continuing to work to fold Sinclair into the RSA, which we hope to be able to do. In terms of milestones, Your Honor, um, I think every case needs to have some order and some plan, and so our plan is to march to the following schedule. Um, we have committed to our creditors under the RSA that we would get them uh, a business plan uh, by August 1st. Um, obviously, there's building blocks to that. There's the lead negotiations, the team negotiations, there's the MVPD negotiations, all of that uh, fits into the business plan. Um, we would like to file a Chapter 11 plan uh, by September 1st. Uh, and then 
putting aside some of the interim dates, we have a deadline to go effective by the end of the year. Um, so that's the, that's the timeline we'd like to march towards. Obviously, your schedule will be a big determinant in that. I don't mean to suggest that you're bound by this in any way, but that's, that's, our, that's our goal. Lastly, Your Honor, I just want to leave you with a few key themes, and then I'm going to turn the podium over to Mr. Goldman. Um, and the reason I think these themes are important, in addition to telling you what uh, I think is going to happen here and leaving you with some thoughts and the other parties, this case is widely followed in the press. And some of the press is, is accurate and some of it isn't. So here's my shot at making sure there's no lack of clarity about where this company is headed. First, Your Honor, I want to make it crystal clear that Diamond is open for business, and we're not going anywhere. There's been all kinds of press about Diamond's going under, Diamond's not going to be able to broadcast games. Completely wrong. We're not going anywhere. We have more than enough cash to operate our business for the foreseeable future, and we are going to continue to broadcast games without interruption, and we are absolutely committed to delivering live games to our fans across the country. That's point number one. Point number two, which I think is hopefully evident from the presentation uh, thus far, is that we have made significant progress negotiating a deleveraging transaction with our creditors and a separation from Sinclair. Point number three, in all honesty, work remains to be done. We are not done yet. Um, we obviously, as I said, have discussions that we're going to have to have with the teams, the leagues, the MVPDs to ensure that we have ongoing partnership, which I'm confident uh, those discussions will be fruitful. And we're going to have to have additional conversations with Sinclair because we're not done yet regarding the separation and, and their treatment through all of this. Fourth, the, I think it's evident, but in case it's not, the RSA provides us with significant support from our creditors and positions the company to move forward expeditiously to complete our restructuring. That was the timeline I just went through. Fifth, Diamond uh, looks forward to emerging from Chapter 11 as a restructured company and one that is well positioned to continue, as we are today, as the leader in regional sports entertainment. Your Honor, this is the largest regional sports network company in the country. No one is even, the, the, the number two is not even close. And last but not least, Today marks the first important step towards Diamond's next beginning. So, uh, Your Honor, I think we have a great company run by a great board with great senior leadership that has a great product that fans all over the country rely on and enjoy, and we are going to continue to produce that product, restructure this company, and come out the other side as a much healthier, more successful company than we started. With that, Your Honor, I'm going to cede the podium, if it's okay, unless you have any questions for me, to Mr. Goldman. Okay. Thank you. No questions. Mr. Goldman. Thank you, Your Honor. Have I unmuted your line. I just want to make sure. Oh, you're there. Even better. It's better. I am there, Your Honor. All righty. Good to see you. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Um, just a quick clarification. Um, when Mr. Herman says we are open for business, we are open for business, and that includes the broadcasting of any playoff games that we have rights to for our teams with respect to both hockey and basketball for the upcoming playoffs.
Court Hill and Dorf. We are proposed Special Corporate and Litigation Counsel to Diamond. We have been uh, counsel to Diamond since 2020, and since 2022, we have been working closely with Paul Weiss on a coordinated basis with respect to advice and counsel in the both company and, in Paul Weiss's case, the board as well. Among the mandates that we carry out on behalf of Diamond are the dealings with several issues related to the Diamond to Diamond's relationships with both the teams and the leagues. And that's what I'd like to just touch on briefly today. We're not here seeking any relief, but just to set the stage for what may be an important theme throughout the pendency of the case. As Mr. Herman previewed, Diamond's direct-to-consumer initiative and our growth in direct-to-consumer requires us to have an additional set of rights from the teams in the league beyond the rights that we have to carry the traditional linear cable box uh, model. We have, for every NBA and NHL team that we carry linear for, we have digital rights. The NHL deal was done in 2021, and the NBA deal was renewed in January of 2022. As Mr. Herman also noted, our conversations and negotiations with hockey and basketball have been constant, and they have been incredibly productive. Unfortunately, our experience with baseball, not so much. And that is really what I want to focus a couple minutes on, because it does drive a lot of the thinking in the restructuring. We have been in negotiations and in discussions with baseball, both through current and prior management, for several years now with our primary goal being to be able to access the rights we need to offer the digital product for all 14 of the baseball teams that are in our fold. We have those contractual rights. To date, we've only been able to access those rights for five of the 14 teams. For nine of those teams, we have not, at the direction of the commissioner's office, been able to access those rights for reasons which I'll touch on briefly, but obviously dovetail into the Office of Baseball's stated public goal, which they have done so on numerous occasions, that they want to take back those rights, bring to the home office so that they can monetize them for the teams on a national unified basis. We have agreements with 14 teams, and our 14 team agreements require um, that we be entitled to use the digital rights granted under those agreements so long as baseball has granted them to the teams and under the contracts they have. The only limitation on that is that if baseball believes that we've not paid fair market value, they can step in. And again, while baseball has allowed us to use digital rights for five of the 14, it has continuously denied us the rights for those other nine. Of course, there's no serious dispute with respect to whether or not we've satisfied baseball's self-imposed requirements in that regard. What the fight has been about, if you want to call it that, certainly the disagreement and the denial by baseball of our continual requests um, lies in baseball's stated interest in, quote, taking the rights back and going it alone. Over the past 24 months, we have heard continued concerns raised by the commissioner's office about Diamond, and we have gone to great strides, as Mr. Herman has said, to alleviate all of those concerns. Last March, we obtained $635 million in financing to buttress the company's balance sheet. 
action, we have engaged new management. We have seated a board of independent media-focused individuals with impeccable credentials and a deep understanding of the sports media landscape. We've put in place an RSA framework that, as Mr. Herman noted, will allow us to deleverage about 90% of our capital structure. And we will have separated soon from our soon-to-be former owner, Sinclair. In short, we've done everything that we have heard anecdotally from the commissioner's office they were concerned about, and yet we've not been able to get anywhere from the commissioner or his office in terms of advancing the ball on getting the nine teams digital rights that we need and that we've asked for, nor has the commissioner allowed us to even talk with those teams. In fact, quite to the contrary, the commissioner's office has refused to allow those teams to negotiate with us. We've heard that directly. Um, even though some of those teams do want to talk to us. How do we know baseball wants to take the rights back? They've said so. The commissioner has said so publicly, both to the press and in publicly stated remarks at conferences. They're also building out their own infrastructure. They recently announced that they are opening up their own local media department, quote, to prepare for the takeover of broadcast of the 17 teams. And in fact, they staffed that new department with several of our former senior high-ranking broadcast executives. They've also begun discussing with our distributors what they would be pricing the product at if and when they take over these teams. Notwithstanding the fact that we have existing contracts with these distributors, the bulk of which come up for renewal discussion in the next 12 months. In short, the commissioner's office has made clear that they do want to take back the rights, and as our CEO often uses the phrase, go alone, which will effectively drive us out of the market if they are successful. And we don't believe they will be, and we don't believe in any event we will be driven out of any market. But we're looking for the rights. We want to expand the digital rights so that we can get to the reach of the consumer on the digital side what the declination in linear cord cutting has created on the traditional linear side. We want to expand our reach. We can't expand our reach digitally to this group, this population of fans that don't have and don't want traditional linear. They don't want to watch it through their cable box. They want to be able to stream. We want to be able to accommodate that to reach the broadest audience we can. We want to be litigious here. There's been lots of opportunities. We don't want to be litigious. We would like to resolve this on a consensual basis. We have had innumerable conversations internally about how to do that. We've talked to our lenders about how to do that. We have outreached to the commissioner's office between former management and current management dozens of times. We just want to find a way, if possible, to bring the digital rights for all 14 teams into the fold. We're not looking to take advantage of the teams. We understand that the teams need fair value. We're willing to pay fair value. But what we're trying to do is work through a model that is broken and no longer works given the change in consumer preference for sports viewing. This is not a diamond 
and changes to the economics of these agreements that will still result in the teams getting paid fair market value for their rights while not continuing to saddle Diamond with payment obligations that in the current world are well above fair market value and cost us tens of millions in annual losses. If we can achieve that, we think we all win. The teams get paid fair value, the fans get the reach they deserve, and we get the benefit of the growth of our business, which is what our lenders and stakeholders are expecting from us. We hope we can resolve things consensually, and we hope to continue those dialogues with the commissioner's office in the hope that we can see a path through consensually with the commissioner's office. If we can't, we will seek redress from the court. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you. Okay. Um, Mr. Herman, is it now, now the time where I should see if there's anyone else who supports? I think so, Your Honor. And maybe the easiest way to do it is to just go down the capital structure. <laughs> it's logical. Uh, so first lien, second lien, unsecured, and then people can go from there. Okay. Let me start with the Thank first you. liens. If there's anyone who's unmuted. Um, wishes to make a statement on behalf of the first liens or a first lien lender. Your Honor, can you hear me? Just fine, Mr. Eggerman. Thank you. Again, uh, Daniel Eggerman from Kramer 11 on behalf of an ad hoc group of first lien lenders. Thanks for the opportunity to speak. I'll be brief. As I mentioned earlier, uh, I'm joined uh, by my Kramer 11 colleagues, Alexander Wolverton and Jennifer Charette. Uh, to the extent we need to address any issues in connection with any motions out of before the court this afternoon, uh, you may be hearing from either or both of them. We are a relatively new addition to this situation, um, having been retained just a few weeks ago to represent the interests of a group of lenders holdings, uh, a group of lenders who hold uh, a weighted position towards the first lien loans. Um, while we do have some holdings in other parts of the capital structure, the market value of those holdings is de minimis when compared to the value of the first lien holdings. So accordingly, we do not consider ourselves a crossholder group like some of the other groups you may hear from today. We consider ourselves a, uh, a first lien lender group. Since we've been retained, um, we, together with our bankers at Centerview, have been working closely with the debtors and their advisors on diligence and negotiating the terms for the consensual use of cash collateral. And I am pleased to confirm that we have reached an agreement on that front. Uh, the first lien group is keenly aware of the challenges facing not only the industry in general, but also these debtors uh, specifically. And we recognize the need for the company to restructure its balance sheet and to recalibrate its operations and business plans to ensure its viability as a going concern. And the first lien lenders are willing to facilitate those efforts through the use of their collateral, including the cash collateral, on the terms set forth in the proposed order. As the court is also aware, the debtors have entered into an RSA with members of various crossholder groups. The first lien group is not a party to that RSA, nor were we involved in its negotiations. The plan on which the RSA is premised supports to treat the first lien loans as unimpaired, but provides no detail as to what that means and how they intend to do that. If that means they intend to pay the first lien lenders in full and in cash on the effective date, I think we would uh, applaud and welcome those efforts. But to the extent that the Chapter 11 plan envisioned by the RSA is not feasible or achievable, our group is ready 
and willing to be proactive and work constructively with the debtors and the other stakeholders to ensure the debtors emerge from Chapter 11 quickly, significantly deleveraged, and positioned for success. So unless Your Honor has any questions for me, I promised I'd be brief, and I'll cede the virtual uh, podium over to the folks at Gibson Dunn if we are uh, proceeding in order of lean priorities. All righty. Thank you, Mr. Agerman. <laughs> All righty. We turn it over to the second lanes. Anyone wish to be heard? I've got a couple of five stars. Let me, and you may. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Can you hear me? Just fine. Oh, thank you. Uh, Your Honor, James Grogan from Paul Hastings. Uh, we're here today on behalf of the ad hoc crossover group. Uh, with me are uh, my partners, Cheyenne Bhattacharya and Jamie Goldstein as well as my colleague, Matt Garofalo. Uh, Mr. Bhattacharya will handle the remarks that we have. Okay. Thank you, Ron. All righty. Council, is your line unmuted? Your Honor, I think Mr. Greenberg is having trouble getting unmuted. Uh, let's see. Mr. Bhattacharya, can I can you hear me okay? Or can I hear you? And then I'm gonna see if I can get Mr. Greenberg on. Let's see. Oh. Well, uh, can you hear me, Your Honor? Just fine. Mr. Greenberg, hold on a second. I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to see if I can get Mr. Bhattacharya on the line. Yeah, sure. Thank you, and I apologize. I don't know how I muted you. Can, Your Honor, can you hear me? Just fine. All right. Um, if we if we want to if we want to stay in in order of priority, I'm I'm happy to let uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Greenberg go first. Alrighty, Mr. Greenberg. Okay, Your, Your Honor, you can hear me. Okay, I, I assume you can't see me because I noticed that my uh, my video went down about halfway through Mr. Herman's presentation. So, I can hear you just fine. Uh, I, I think I'm probably on. Okay, I, I, I apologize. Although maybe it's better for everyone if you can't see me. So <laughs> I assume this is just audio for now. Um, so, so Your Honor, Scott Greenberg, Gibson Dunn and Crusher. Uh, we're counsel for a group of lenders who hold first lien. Uh, term loan claims and second lien, both term loan and, and bond debt. Uh, nice to be back in front of you. Obviously, it hasn't been too long. Um, our group, Your Honor, uh, the ad hoc secure group is composed of creditors that hold over 125 million of the debtor's first lien term loans and about $3.1 billion of second lien loans and secured notes. And together, as RSA parties with the crossholder group, who you'll hear from after me, Paul Hastings and PJT, um, we collectively hold 34% of the first lien term loan claims, 69% of the second lien, and 57% of the unsecured funded debt claims. Um, we filed a, a 2019 that lays this all out. 
this morning. That's at docket number 118. Um, Your Honor, just if, if you'll bear with me, I just want to put a little background and context. Obviously, Mr. Herman uh, did a great job going through at, at length how we got to where we are today. And candidly, we, we've been along for the ride for quite some time uh, in these discussions that long predate these Chapter 11 cases. Um, as, your, as Your Honor has now heard a couple times from debtors' counsel, the debtors filed these cases to effectuate a pre-negotiated balance sheet restructuring that's going to reduce their total funded debt obligations by over $8 billion, uh, which is obviously no small number. Um, but it's a number in which I think collectively we and the company thought needed to, needed to happen to position the company to continue investing and expanding its DTC offerings for long-term growth following this Chapter 11. Uh, Your Honor, we've, we've talked about the RSA, so I don't want to cover ground Mr. Herman already did. I think it's needless to say, as you hear, I'm sure, in all your cases, this one in particular, um, this RSA and the, the restructuring term sheet, or RTS, as we refer to it, that's attached to the RSA was, was a function of months um, of around-the-clock at times, but good faith negotiation, I would say, among the ad hoc groups and the debtors which resulted in the RSA before you, which has 69% of the second lien claims locked up as well as 57% of the unsecured funded debt claims. Um, and, and that's important, obviously, because it's those two constituencies that are uh, set to receive the vast majority of the reorganized equity uh, under the debtor's proposed path forward. Just, just a little bit of background, because Mr. Herman touched on it, um, and I just want to make clear kind of who was at the table at various points in time. But we, we have been working with the debtors, uh, myself in particular, for over two years at this point, and well before the filing of these cases. Um, the ad hoc secure group first organized with its advisors in late 2020, and we've been working with the debtors since early 21 when the company began exploring options for a capital infusion to, among other things, as you heard from Mr. Herman, really enable the company to continue developing its DTC business as consumers moved away from the linear product and have the term we've been using, cut the cord. Um, and in the face of that declining linear business, the, the ad hoc secure group, our group, has been there to support the company every step of the way. They've restricted numerous times on the principal level uh, for elongated periods of times, as Mr. Herman pointed out, and ultimately, that led to uh, our group fully backstopping and providing a new money financing transaction, which provided the company with $635 million of new liquidity to support the business. And that was March of 2022. So we're almost about exactly on a year of when the group put that money in. And that was after approximately 18 months of working with the company and Mr. Goldman and others to come up with a structure that we all collectively thought would maximize the value of the company for all stakeholders. Um, as Your Honor will hear, and as you just heard from the Kramer, Kramer Levin Group, obviously, as in any market, you know, paper trades hands. And some of the folks that were part of, you know, the first lien group that put in that new money uh, in about a year ago have since exited the paper, which has now led to what you're seeing as the composition of three groups. Uh, as part of that transaction, which Mr. Herman talked about, our, our group was intimately involved in the governance changes that were discussed 
and were personally involved on the principal level um, in the extensive board search that went on with the company and our lenders to identify a specific set of board members with a real focus on industry experience, right, because we're building a new product and expanding a new product with ETC rather than what you typically see in our world, which is loading up a board with a bunch of restructuring-oriented folks. That was not the focus. Um, so I think what you're seeing today is really what you've seen from our group for the better part of two years, which is being here to support the company through challenging circumstances, as we've been in the past. And just like the significant liquidity that we put into the business about a year ago, um, we also engaged with Mr. Herman and Molis and the advisors when they reached out to us this summer to discuss the need to really address what is obviously an over-levered capital structure. Um, this group has stepped up again, Your Honor, leading, as I mentioned previously, an equitization of over $8 billion of debt to help the company delever and right-size the balance sheet. And, and to state the obvious, our client's investment of a year ago has not gone exactly as planned, um, right? We were putting in money for them to help build out their DTC business, and I don't think any of us thought we would be here so soon. But nonetheless, our clients, once again, are partnering themselves with the company. And, and honestly, Your, Your Honor, put aside the professionals, our, our actual principals, at least in my experience, have spent more time principal to principal with Mr. Herman's clients working hand-in-hand -hand to try to get this company on the right footing, including in connection with the transactions that you see outlined in the RSA. I'm not going to go down the RSA path again because I think Mr. Herman covered it well. I think the one thing I would point out, which is probably painfully obvious, but it was a hard reality for our clients having just put in $635 million of fresh capital last March when the company reached out to us, you know, over the summer to talk about fixing the balance sheet. Um, but ultimately, the ad hoc groups, and, and not just our group, but the crossover group, and I know you'll hear from them next, engaged with the company and its advisors. We did everything we could to help get the company and its house and its capital structure in order, right, so the company would be in the best footing and the best position to approach its operational partners, the teams and the leagues. Uh, and, and the concept, at least among the funded debt creditors, I'll let the Paul Hastings group speak for itself, but I think the, the driving concept was to get a deal among our capital structure to position the company to approach the leads and teams and discuss the op optimal path forward. And, and that deal, obviously, you see, uh, it's, it's reflected in the RSA. And, and just to cut through it, as you heard from Mr. Herman, effectively, that is a deleveraging of everything be behind the new money that we put in last March, which is approximately $6.5 billion of second lien claims being equitized, along with $1.8 billion of unsecured funded debt claims being equitized in exchange for minority rights, uh, minority equity and warrants. Um, and, and we feel that that has put the company in the best positioning to now go have these necessary conversations, which you've heard some preview of with the leagues and the team to, to get this company on the best footing for an exit from bankruptcy. I think it would go without saying um, we got to where we are today after a lot of work. It was no easy feat. Uh, it's gotten more complicated as new players have, have entered the capital structure, 
uh, I, you know, today's not the day for a, a discussion of valuation. I, I don't think we agree that the company needs more deleveraging than the $8 billion set forth uh, in the RSA, but we, we could save that for another day if and when it becomes necessary. But I will say we're not blind to the fact that there's work to be done and, and more would be with the leads in the team. And I think I speak for our group, and I'll let the crossover speak for themselves, but I think we will stand behind the company in pushing that forward to get to the right place, just like we've stood behind this company as partners for the last two and a half years um, as we enter these Chapter 11 cases. So with that, Your Honor, again, apologies for the tech difficulties, but I appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Let me hear from the crossover. Uh, thank you, Your Honor. Can you hear me? Just fine. Thank you. Great. Uh, again, for the record, Cheyenne Bhattacharya, Paul Hastings, appearing on behalf of the Ad Hoc Crossover Group. Um, as Mr. Herman noted in, in the opening presentation, the, the Ad Hoc Crossover Group holds significant positions throughout the debtor's capital structure, including first lien debt, second lien debt, and a, a majority of the debtor's uh, unsecured notes. Um, I think a, a lot of the ground um, has already been amply covered by Mr. Herman and Mr. Greenberg. So I'll just note that you know, I think in, in our view, the restructuring support agreement that the debtors filed at the commencement of these cases is it's pretty remarkable uh, in terms of the broad consensus that it represents across the debtors' capital structure for a leveraging transaction. And, you know, it's really the end result of a hard-fought negotiation amongst the crossover group, the uh, ad hoc secured group represented by Mr. Greenberg and, and, and the debtors. Um, as, you know, as both Mr. Mr. Herman and Mr. Greenberg have noted, there's still a, a good amount of work to be done uh, to successfully reorganize the debtors' businesses. But I, I would like to echo uh, Mr. Greenberg's comments and, you know, just express our support for the debtors' reorganization efforts. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else from the, from the capital structure wish to be heard? Mr. Sullivan? Let me see if I can find you there. Can you hear me okay? Just fine. Okay. Well, uh, thank you very much, uh, Your Honor. Again, David Seligman on behalf of Sinclair Broadcast Group. Uh, first, Your Honor, I just want to say it's a pleasure to appear before Your Honor for the first time uh, on, on your side of the uh, of the bench. So I appreciate that. I'm going to try and be brief. I do know that the uh, that the that Houston's playing tonight at 8:20. So hopefully we can get out well before then. Um, Your Honor, uh, I just want to give a little background and perspective from. Uh, from Sinclair, Sinclair's perspective at the, uh, at the bottom side of the capital structure. Um, and although we don't have a signed RSA uh, with the debtors and the creditors right now, we are very supportive and we're very close is the bottom line. Um, Your Honor, we, I, I would say we have three different main roles uh, in connection with Diamond. First, obviously, we're the ultimate parent company of Diamond and the, uh, and the sole uh, uh, shareholder. Um, Secondly, uh, we are uh, party to a management services agreement with the debtors, whereby we provide comprehensive managerial, operational, and administrative services to the debtor. Suffice it to say, Your Honor, that Diamond could not exist without the services that provide. And we're happy to provide those services, and we've been providing those services. I can attest that there's lots of Sinclair employees who are pretty tired uh, uh, right now because they've been working around the clock to support the debtors and provide them with information in connection with their first day motions and things of that sort. So we've had a good collaborative relationship, and we want to continue that. Um, the services are not just sort of nuts and bolts. 
um, but historically have also been um, helping to negotiate new deals with these teams and trying to use uh, and leverage some of Sinclair's own separate uh, 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 contractual leverage in order to help even uh, get better deals on behalf of doctors. Um, some of our – and we obviously get a fee every month in connection with the, uh, the management services agreement. One of the ways we have we heard discussion about the capital raise in March is at that time we did agree to defer a significant portion of our management fees in order to assist the company in its, uh, you know, to help shore up its liquidity. Uh, those amounts, we, we agreed to defer those amounts until a Chapter 11 filing, um, and so uh, those are those have been deferred. Um, and as you'll hear in a, in a second, um, you know, if the company can get a deal, those will be continued to be deferred, or at least a portion of them. Um, the as of as of the petition date, we have approximately ninety million dollars in deferred fees. So that just goes to show you the, the scope of what we've been what we've been deferring in order to assist the um, the, the, debtors, uh, the debtors' efforts. Um, Your Honor, the third hat I guess we'll say in connection with the debtors' cases. We are the provider of liquidity to Diamond. Um, they do have a significant amount of cash uh, uh, right now, no doubt, but uh, we uh, are the lender under a uh, receivables facility. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a kind of a classic uh, you know, purchase of receivables by a, a debtor SPV, and then we loan against the SPV. Um, under the $216 million of availability, and um, current outstanding balance is about $193 million. Um, and we're providing upwards of 80 to 100 million dollars of liquidity every month uh, to the debtors in terms, you know, loaning against receivables that have been purchased by this SPD. So um, uh, that is a that is a significant uh, part of uh, of what we've done. That is still the bankruptcy filing that's obviously default right now, um, and uh, uh, that's part of the discussions that we've been having with the uh, debtors in connection with the broader restructuring support agreement. Your Honor. Um, Speaking of sort of deal dynamics, um, we too have been engaged in discussions with the debtors and with the creditors uh, since the early fall, um, as things really stepped up and, uh, and negotiations really stepped up in terms of all the parties trying to see how they could uh, assist in this uh, broader restructuring effort. And we've also spent time weekends night trying to see what we can get done. Um, Your Honor, it was. It was uh, uh, reported that uh, in December we did have an agreement in principle. Uh, we do have an agreement in principle with the debtors and with the creditor groups for that deleveraging. Um, big picture, Your Honor, the debtors were uh, walking away from um, their equity. Uh, we, we would continue to provide management um, services during the course of the case, and then it would flip to a transition services agreement at an even reduced rate. Um, that would go on for upwards of 18 months, um, and the AR, the the AR facility would be refinanced out, and there would be mutual releases between the parties, including um, our release of all those deferred payments um, that we had uh, 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 you know, under the uh, management services agreement. Um, Your Honor, since December, all the parties have been working in good faith to try and turn this into an RSA. They were able to get there with the Creditors for their RSA. We, I think, we were on the goal line, Your Honor, in terms of getting this done. It just we kind of ran out of time. Um, you know, uh, uh, just things being what they are, uh, we ran out of time in terms of being able to get it done. But we are very hopeful 
that we will be able to get to the finish line on an RFA and get folded in within, I'm hoping, the next few days or so. Um, and we're committed to working with all the parties to be able to do that. That's important, not just for all the parties, but specifically um, for the debtors, because one of the pieces of getting that RFA in place is that um, we will then be in a position to continue to fund the AR facility um, on a current basis, and we will be able to, to provide the management services agreements on that temporarily deferred basis um, during the course of the case. So we look forward to doing that. We look forward to wrapping this up. And we're very supportive of the company, and we're heavily collaborative with them and with the creditors in order to do so. So, unless your honor has any questions, that that's what I would we wanted to um, prize on. No questions. Thank you very much, Mr. Seligman. Okay. Let's see. Anyone else wish to be heard? Um, the form of an opening before we get to first day. May need to hit five star. If there's anyone. Mr. Don't see anyone else. Does anyone else wish to be heard? And if you haven't hit five star, please hit five star. If not, I'm gonna oh, I've got one. I've not got one. I've got a two one two number. Yes, Your Honor, Your Honor, good afternoon. Can you hear me? Just fine. Terrific. Nice to see you, Judge. Your Honor, for the record, Vincent and Delicato, Proskauer Rose L L P on behalf of the National Basketball Association and its member teams that are party to a local telecast agreement with a regional sports network owned or controlled by Diamond Sports Group, LLC. With me today in the virtual courtroom, my partner, Michael Nervous, and my colleague, Steve Ma. Your Honor, for the last several weeks, the NBA worked diligently with the debtors to try to achieve a negotiated framework that not only ensured NBA fans would have continued access to games in local Valley sports markets, but also preserve the value of our digital and linear rights while giving the debtors and their creditors the flexibility to best position these cases for a successful reorganization and a prompt emergence from Chapter 11. Now, Your Honor, what makes these cases so fundamentally different from the many others that routinely come before the bankruptcy court is that these digital and linear rights, in essence, the very lifeblood of the debtor's business, are enormously valuable intellectual property derived from the services of our players and the substantial investments of our league and our teams. And so recognizing that criticality, consistent with their statements on the record today, the debtors have assured us, and the cash collateral budget would appear to evidence, that the NBA and its diamond teams will continue to get paid in the ordinary course for the use of those rights through the remainder of this season. Given the value of our rights and their importance to diamond, we believe we are entitled to receive the same treatment for next season, but have yet to reach an agreement with the debtors. And while we understand the debtors and their creditors would like time to assess the benefits 
and the burdens of their executory contracts as they evaluate the feasibility of their business plan and undertake their negotiations later this fall and into next year with the major cable, satellite, and virtual media distributors, it is absolutely critical, Judge, that we have certainty as to the continuity of our game telecasts and the timely payment of our rights fees for our enormously valuable intellectual property and not subsidize optionality for the debtors and their creditors at the expense of our teams, our players, and our fans. Your Honor, arranging production and distribution of live sports events at this level requires significant time, so we need Diamond to provide assurances for next season as soon as possible. As such, pending further discussions with the debtors, we reserve all rights to come back to Your Honor in short order and request any appropriate and necessary relief. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Just looking around. Mr. Herman, it may be time to shift to first days. All right. It's about that time. Um, Your Honor, uh, with your indulgence, I'm going to feed the podium to my partner, Mr. Farland, to go through the cash collateral motion. Okay. Thank you. Your Honor, can you hear me? Just fine. Thank you. And before you start, I just want to ask everyone, to, just a friendly reminder, to take a look at your phone and place it on mute unless you're speaking. I just want to make sure that we can all hear each other. Um, Mr. Parlin, you may proceed whenever you're ready. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, for the record, Andrew Parlin, Paul Weiss, for the debtors. Your Honor, before I get into the agenda, I just wanted to do a um, little bit of road, a little roadmap to make sure we're on the same page uh, here. There are 12 items on the agenda today. I, orders have measured three of them, the joint administration motion, the complex case designation motion, and the Cole, the Cole claims agent motion. Um, so we won't be handling those, obviously. And I did want to inform the court that we, we know of no objections today to any of these orders. None have been filed, and we've not been informed that any are going to be made live, obviously. Um, folks will have the chance to do that if they so choose. I did want to particularly note uh, and thank the U.S. Trustee's Office who provided his comments, I believe, were fully resolved um, on everything um, as, as we move forward here. What Your Honor is going to see on this agenda is a very typical slate, the first day motion. There's nothing um, out of the ordinary, as Mr. Herman noted. We won't see, you, you don't see a good financing motion. Uh, you can, we'll, we'll start with the cash collateral motion in a moment, but the debtors are in a position to fund their businesses and cases with the cash on hand. Uh, and cash to be generated uh, as they go forward operating. Um, Mr. Graham, I'll, I'll be handling the cash collateral motion. Mr. Graham will then take over for cash management. And after that, Your Honor, the, the attorneys who do the real work on these motions uh, will present them to you uh, as we go. I do want to note, though, that some of the um, very talented and dedicated attorneys who worked on these won't be presenting today, both from the Paul Weiss and Wilma firms, but we will hopefully uh, afford them an opportunity to be before you as this case as this case goes on. Um, so with that, Your Honor, um, I'd like to move two declarations into evidence. First, uh, the declaration of Mr. DeVell in support of the first day motions, and that's at docket number 126-1. And the second would be the declaration of 
to mine support a cash collateral, and that's docket 126-10. Anyone object to the admission of 126-1 and 126-10 for purposes of today's hearing? Okay, they're admitted. Okay, thank you, Your Honor. So um, on to ag uh, agenda item number three, which is the debtor's motion uh, to use cash collateral to provide associated adequate protection. Um, Your Honor, this morning we filed a revised uh, proposed form of order at docket number 134 with a red line to the originally filed version at uh, docket number 135 with very uh, minor and ministerial changes. Um, but I wanted to confirm that we're working off the same document. Yes, thank you, and I did have a chance to review it. Perfect. So what your honor has before you is a 68-page order that would permit the debtors to use cash collateral on an interim basis through the second day hearing uh, in April. We've been in touch with Chambers about that date, um, and maybe we can come back to that at the end of the presentation here. Your honor, the order is a consensual order. And the debtors also submit that it is a favorable order and a fair order. And what do I mean by that? The order is consensual. Something like 90% of the company's first lien lenders have consented to the use of cash collateral on the terms laid out in it. The lenders, as Mr. Herman noted, and three creditor groups. They even include lenders who are outside the creditor groups. These consenting lenders, um, as you've heard from their attorneys, uh, have different interests. Um, they have different points of view. Some are primarily first lien lenders. Some are heavily second lien holders. Uh, and look at it through that lens. Others are very heavy in the unsecured debt and have that angle. But the bottom line is they've consented across, at, across the capital structure, across the first lien. Nine, about 90% have consented. And in a capital structure as large, as complex, as diverse, and, and with as much history as this one, we view that as a major achievement and we're very grateful that the lenders have uh, consented in this way. The order is a favorable order, Your Honor, and by that I mean it's an order that's very favorable to the debtor's estate. It allows the debtors to use their ample liquidity to continue operating in the ordinary course while funding their reorganization. Some items to note in that vein. The foundation of the order is the approved budget. It's attached as Exhibit 1. Uh, to the to the interim order of the 13-week budget. It's a straightforward 13-week budget. That's what the debtors anticipated receipts and disbursements as they operate in the ordinary course, broadcasting games, as Mr. Herman noted, paying employees, and, and just doing what the debtors do in operating. Um, and then looking at the budget, if you want to take a look at it or has looked at it, you can see that there, there definitely is no need for a new money dip financing. This is not a case control cash collateral order. There are a few milestones. You can have them memorized. They're the, they're the uh, interim order milestone, the final order milestone, and an outside plan effective date milestone of December 31st. That's it. Similarly, termination rights are plain vanilla. The determination rights Your Honor is going to see in every cash collateral order that should be in the cash collateral order, violating a material provision of it, having the case converted, granting an unauthorized lien. Um, there are, of course, termination rights around budget variances, but the debtors feel that uh, they have plenty of space to deal with um, any, any variance to what the budget lays out. As Mr. Eggerman noted, the um, RSA does provide for unimpairment of the 1L. 
the, the 1L group negotiated for termination rights um, around the RSA and, and the plan to the extent that the plan does anything but propose or the RSA is amended to do anything but propose that the 1Ls are unimpaired, that too would be a termination right, but that just means if that were to happen, we'd be having a discussion with our creditors. So the order is consensual, favorable to the debtors, and it's a fair order, Your Honor. It's fair to the creditors. It's fair to the secured parties. Um, it adequately protects them, and it paves the way for them to be active participants and contributors to the debtors' restructuring. Um, I want to run through the adequate protection package very quickly. Uh, as typical, both the first and second lien lenders are provided super priority administrative expense claims and adequate protection liens subject to the carve-out, um, with the first lien having priority over the second lien. There are reporting obligations where the secured parties will receive very detailed uh, visibility on a regular basis from the debtors. And the adequate protection package also, unsurprisingly, includes payment of professional fees. Um, and the professionals, professional fees payable here are the professionals for each of the ad hoc groups. It's tempting to kind of glide by that, but I wanted to pause on it for a moment. And I'll probably get some side-eye from Mr. DeVell over here um, as, I, as I talk about why I believe, debtors believe this is an important feature of the cash collateral order. As, as we've talked about um, throughout this presentation today, the three creditor groups are, consist of dozens of holders, incredibly sophisticated investors, first lien loans, second lien loans, unsecured bonds. And again, we've seen that these creditors have different views and sometimes see some things differently um, in different ways. And I think we'll see that again um, as we move forward, and that's, that's perfectly fine. It was very important for the debtors to start this case in an inclusive place, and that's what we've done. We have 90% or so of the first lien lenders consenting to cash collateral. We have an RSA with 35% of the first lien, about 70% of the second lien, and nearly 60% of the unsecured debt. As Mr. Greenberg pointed out, this is a community of stakeholders that has been working together intensely for a long time in one form or another, advisor to advisor, principal to principal, principals and advisors, pretty much continually. Um, at least for the last six or seven months and, and, and even for a year before that. There's no reason to disturb this ecosystem. There's no reason to disturb the way the capital structure stakeholders are functioning. There's every reason, in fact, to continue it as we start this new chapter, as we deal with budget periods, as we deal with business plans, what comes next week or next month. So this aspect of the adequate protection package is entirely appropriate in the debtor's view, just as is the entire adequate protection um, set up in this order. For your honor, again, we have a consensual order, favorable order to the debtors, for one of the future parties. Happy to go into more detail um, with any particulars that your honor wants, wants to ask about or would, would like me to present on, um, but also happy to uh, rest on the reasons set forth in the motion on the basis of the Jamal Declaration and subject to any questions or um, issues that others uh, have for me. Let me just ask if anyone wishes to be heard in connection with the cash collateral motion. Okay. I'll note that there was a motion filed to docket number 25 seeking the use of cash collateral. It's a consensual use of cash collateral. 
I'm going to find that uh, emergency consideration is appropriate and uh, notice is appropriate under the circumstances as well as service. Um, the court relies on the declaration uh, that has been submitted into evidence for purposes of today. I'm going to grant the use of cash collateral as uh, requested in the motion and more particularly um, as whenever you sign the sign the order at docket number 134 the revised uh, form of order I find that uh, the use of cash collateral is necessary and the terms on which that request uh, is made and on a consensual basis is more than fair uh, under the circumstances um, and again it is consensual um, and the debtor needs the use of cash collateral that will help um, stabilize the business and keep the debtor uh, allow the debtor to uh, ease into the Chapter 11 process. Um, I appreciate and uh, I haven't forgotten how much hard work has gone into uh, getting one of these across the finish line. So um, I've reviewed the, the original order and the revised form of order, um, and I've got no issues with it. Um, and I do, as always, and I'll say this one time, and I do appreciate um the United States Trustee's Office here um, and, and the work that they put in because I know that they've reviewed uh, every one of these. So I thank you for your efforts. I've signed the order. I've got to plug in a final hearing date. When do you want to come back? We had, thank you, Your Honor, first of all. And second of all, we had communicated with your chambers April 13th at 2 p.m. subject to your um, being okay yeah. with that. If you got it from Miss Aldana, it's better than getting it from me because I know it'll work. So April 13th at 2 p.m. will be the final hearing. Um, final objections. Um, why don't we do April 6th at 5 p.m.? Does that work? A week before? Yes. Okay. Yes, Your Honor. So uh, April 13th at 2 p.m., April 6th. At 5 p.m. will be the objection deadline, and we'll use that uh, for all other interims. And so I'm writing it down so I don't forget what I just said. So give me a second. Okay. I have signed the order, and I would note that I've reviewed the budget as well, and the budget is reasonable under the circumstances. Um, and I'm approving the budget as well. So, okay, I have signed that order and it is off to docketing. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, at this time, I'll yield to my colleague, uh, Mr. Grant. Graham. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, Joe Graham is Paul Weiss on behalf of the debtors. Um, as Mr. Perlin uh, just mentioned, the next motion up for on the agenda is uh, the cash management motion, which is up for interim, on an interim basis today. It was filed at docket number 14. Uh, I hope to keep this, uh, this uh, brief. Uh, we, filed, we filed a revised form of order at docket number 129, uh, which, remained, uh, which resolved the remaining U.S. trustee comment to the order. Um, with respect to the proposed order generally, we spent a lot of time prior to filing it with our with our various stakeholders who you've heard from today, uh, 
working on that form of order to incorporate their comments. And we also incorporated some of the U.S. trustees' comments uh, in advance uh, and continue to work with them uh, afterwards. Um, obviously, it was a very important motion in order for us uh, because access to uh, our cash system is very important so we can make the payments uh, for the relief we're requesting today uh, and, and um, our go-forward payments uh, that are in our budget that you just approved as part of the cash collateral uh, order, uh, as well as intercompany transactions, uh, which are addressed by the cash management motion. Um, as I've noted, we've resolved our last uh, the kind of concern raised by the Office of the United States Trustee. Um, specifically, that was with respect to one of our bank accounts at J.P. Morgan. Uh, it's an investment account, uh, and we've been seeking a, a Section 345 waiver. Uh, we were not intending to use it during the case, uh, and we thought that it may actually comply with 345 because it, it actually invests in U.S. Treasuries. Uh, but if, nonetheless, we were not intending to use it and to resolve the U.S. Trustee's concerns about a waiver, especially in light of the, the current banking situation. Uh, we, we, we agreed to remove that waiver request uh, from the order. And so now the order is, uh, I, I don't believe there's any uh, standing objection uh, to the form of order, Your Honor. Okay. Um, there's no need for a waiver with respect to the other 19 bank accounts, and they're all authorized depository banks uh, with the United States trustee. Okay. Um, so, Your Honor, I don't know if you have any questions I'd be happy to address. Yeah. Um, Mr. Wen, uh, let me hear from the United States trustee. Um, you had a chance to review the proposed order at 129? Uh, yes, Your Honor, and I've, I've worked with the debtors in, in coming up with language. Um, the reason why it's an interim and not a final is we have about $426 million. Just having the money in the authorized depository itself doesn't mean the bank will collateralize it. There's certain steps that need to be taken behind the scenes for the bank to um, confirm with the uniform deposit, depository agreement with us. So we just need a little bit more time, um, and we're going to be working with the debtors and the bank to make sure that the $426 million that is in this estate can be properly collateralized. Okay. Anyone wish to be heard in connection with the cash management motion? Okay. I view cash management's motions as it, they're substantive but also very really procedural as well. I help maintain the status quo and allow the debtor to ease into the Chapter 11 process. Um, I reviewed the proposed order. I appreciate the parties working with the trustee. Um, it looks good to me. I've reviewed the interim order and the red line that was filed, um, and I've signed that order, and I've plugged in the the same dates um, for the final on bill. I have, Thank signed, you, Your Honor. I have signed that order, and give me a second so I can really tell you that it's off the docketing and really mean it. Um, I think I was checking. The order refers to exhibits to the motion, which is great, so I don't have to worry about knocking on exhibits. Yep, so that is off the docketing. Thank you, Your Honor. I would like to hand the podium over to my colleague, uh, to, to my colleague, Mr. Uh, Brian Herman, please. Thank you. Your Honor, <clears throat> just uh, briefly, uh, Mr. Bromley, on behalf of Major League Baseball, emailed me that he's been trying to speak and has not been able to get in. Uh -huh. So I think we should give him that opportunity. Yep, absolutely. Mr. Bromley, if you can – oh, I got it there. Oh. 
I think I got you, Mr. Brown. I appreciate it. I apologize. I have gone on here. Uh, let's see. Can you hear me, Your Honor? Mr. Brown, first of all, let me apologize to you. I thought I had unmuted that line. It sounds like I had not, and that's entirely on me. So, Mr. Herman, I appreciate you letting me know. And Mr. Bromley, I appreciate you, and I appreciate you hanging in there and apologize that you had to hold up a sign. I, uh, that's on me. No, no problem, Your Honor. Uh, thank you, and uh, I apologize for jumping in at this point. Um, I did want to speak uh, around the same time that, the, that Mr. Delgado did uh, on behalf of the NBA. But speaking on behalf of the Office of the Commissioner, uh, which is otherwise known as Major League Baseball as well as the 14 teams, I did want to respond to some of the comments that were made by Mr. Goldman uh, in particular. Um, we are, as um, Mr. Goldman noted, dealing with a broken model. Um, it is not the responsibility of Major League Baseball to fix that model. Uh, we have been in conversations over the past two years, on and off, uh, with representatives of the betters, both with respect to current management and former management. But it's important to note that when Mr. Goldman was talking about rights, a right that the betters do not have is to force Major League Baseball or its constituent teams to enter into new agreements to provide for digital rights that the betters do not currently possess. It is true that the uh, Major League Baseball and its constituent clubs have been looking at and working towards having a replacement in the event that these debtors are not able to continue in business. It's an appropriate and prudent thing for Major League Baseball and its teams to be doing. This is a debtor that is writing off in excess of $8 billion. And we we're talking here today about very optimistic things. We wish them well, but it is not the responsibility of Major League Baseball or its teams to make it work. We're here. We're ready to talk. We wish them well, but we are also, as Mr. Delicato mentioned, with respect to the NBA teams, very concerned. And we are concerned because Major League Baseball is about to start. Opening day is just two weeks away. And each of the teams, each of the 14 teams that are tied right now, from a linear perspective with the betters, have 162 games to play before the postseason. And on average, 150 of those games are scheduled to be televised by these debtors. We will be watching very carefully to make sure that all amounts are paid and all performances delivered. And we want to let you know, Your Honor, that with respect to the comments that were made about payments that are built into the budget, two leagues were mentioned, the NBA and the NHL. There was no mention made of Major League Baseball. It is essential that the Major League Baseball clubs be paid on time in full the amounts that they are due under the agreements that the debtors have entered into. Any failure to do that will require us to come to your honor for relief immediately. Mr. Goldman made some comments about litigiousness. I don't know what kind of litigation he might have in mind, but these debtors, though they're entitled to the protection of Chapter 11, cannot force Major League Baseball or its teams to do anything that they're not obligated to do. So I just wanted to make those statements, Your Honor, um, and 
to let you know that we, too, like the NBA, will be watching carefully. Uh, and to the extent that there's any failure in performance, economic or operational, we will be back before your honor looking for prompt relief, perhaps on an emergency basis. Thank you very much. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Your Honor. I, I'm going to cede the podium now to my colleague, uh, Ms. Alice Nofsinger. Okay. Thank you. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Good afternoon. Uh, as my Paul Weiss, on behalf of the debtors. Your Honor, I'll be handing the next two items on today's agenda. First, we have the debtors' customers' programs motion. That's item number five on the agenda and filed at docket number 11. Your Honor, by this motion, the debtors seek to maintain their existing customer programs, including honoring pre-petition customer obligations in the ordinary course of business. As described in the motion, the debtors' customers include distributors, or the MVPDs, advertisers, CTC subscribers, and also programming suppliers. Historically, the debtors' relationships with their distributors has been the largest source of the debtors' revenue. The debtors have relationships with over 450 distributors, but the majority of the revenue uh, comes from a handful of national distributors, uh, including, for example, DirecTV and Comcast. These relationships are governed by contracts which provide for certain customer programs, including production guarantee obligations and advertising carve-outs, each of which is described in the motion. As of the petition date, the debtors estimate that they have approximately 40.1 million in outstanding product guarantee obligations owed to distributors. I will also note for your honor that one of the debtors' distributors did reach out to us prior to today's hearing uh, to discuss treatment of their claims. They are very supportive of the release being requested in this motion and the parties have agreed to continue discussions in the coming weeks. I raise this today uh, only as a preview for your honor, uh, as we may be back seeking further relief with respect to that distributor. The debtor's second largest source of revenue has historically come from its advertiser customers, including direct advertisers as well as advertising agencies. As described in the motion, customer programs provided to advertisers include commission obligations, prepaid ad sale obligations, naked obligations, and promotional obligations. As of the petition date, the debtors estimate that they have approximately 5.2 million in accrued advertising obligations. The third category of customers are the debtors' DTC customers, including Valley Sports subscribers and streaming platforms. The debtors, for example, offer free trials of Valley Sports Plus to sports fans and also may issue refunds to subscribers. The debtors estimate that they have approximately 1.2 million in outstanding DTC obligations as of the petition date. Finally, the debtors also offer certain customer programs in connection with their programming agreements. For example, the debtors incur barter obligations uh, to their programming suppliers uh, when the debtors agree to air programming in exchange for providing advertising inventory. As the petition date, the debtors do not believe they have any material outstanding programming obligations. Your Honor, the debtors' customers are critically important to the business. And as the debtors enter Chapter 11, maintaining customer relationships without disruption, including through honoring customer program obligations, is essential to preserving the value of the debtors' estate. The commencement of these Chapter 11 cases is likely to create apprehension on the part of current and potential customers about continuing or beginning relationships with the debtor. As you've heard today, the debtors' industry is highly competitive, 
and if the debtors are unable to continue honoring their obligations to customers, existing and potential customers may opt to take their business elsewhere. The debtors therefore seek to ensure their customers through this motion of the debtor's commitment to the relationships with their customers. We believe that the relief being sought here is necessary to protect and preserve the value of the debtor's estate. Your Honor, unless you have any questions, we would request that the court enter the order. Thank you. Anyone wish to be heard in connection with the customer programs motion? Okay. I have reviewed the motion based on the declarations, um, the excellent presentation of counsel. I'm comfortable. I have no questions. I have reviewed the proposed form of order, and I've signed it. It's off the docketing. I've approved it. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. Next, Your Honor, I will turn to the debtor's vendor's motion. That's item six on the agenda, and it's filed at docket number 10. By this motion, the debtors are seeking authority to pay certain pre-petition vendor claims. Uh, the debtors have tailored the release under this motion to ensure that they have access to the specialized equipment and services necessary for the debtors to produce, distribute, and market their sports programming and products. As the debtors enter Chapter 11 with the intention of continuing to produce and broadcast programming without disruption, Maintaining the vendor relationships is top of mind. Any disruption in the debtor's vendor relationships can negatively impact the debtor's ability to operate at this critical juncture as the debtor transition into Chapter 11. The debtors were very measured in their analysis and were seeking authority to pay up to only $650,000 in pre-petition vendor claims during the interim period and only up to $2.45 million on a final basis. We believe that the relief being sought in this motion is necessary to protect and preserve the value of the debtor's estate. Your Honor, uh, unless you have any questions, we request that the court enter the interim order. Okay, let's see. Let me just hear from the United States trustee and make sure that you've had an opportunity to review this uh, yeah, motion. I went to the U.S. trustee. I've, I've taken a look at the motion, the order, and we made some um, comments here, and those comments were accepted. We have no opposition to the motion. Okay. Thank you. Does anyone else wish to be heard in connection with the, I'll call the, the vendor motion? Okay. I have reviewed the critical vendor motion. I'm going to find that the relief requested is appropriate based on the um, declarations that have been submitted, the court's review of the motion, I'm going to find that emergency relief is appropriate, and I appreciate that the trustee has had um, the opportunity to review this. I've reviewed the order, and it looks good to me, so I'm going to uh, plug in some dates here, making sure that I got this right, April 13th at 2 p.m., and then April 6th at 5 p.m. for the final. Um, and I have I've signed that, and it is off to docketing as well. Thank you, Council. Thank you, Your Honor. That concludes my presentation for today, and I will now turn the podium over to my colleague, Ms. Lascano. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Good afternoon. For the record, Dr. Lascano of Paul Weiss on behalf of the debtors. I'll be presenting items 7 and 8 on today's agenda, the debtors' wages motion and taxes motion. 
Item number seven on the agenda is the debtor's wages motion at docket number 12. Your Honor, as described in the motion, the debtor's workforce includes approximately 600 employees, 1,500 temporary workers, 250 independent contractors, and thousands of additional non-employee staff. This workforce performs all manner of functions for the debtors, including in finance, operations, marketing, engineering, and talent. These skilled and dedicated individuals are the backbone of the debtor's business and one of their greatest assets. Additionally, many of these folks rely on their compensation to pay rent, buy groceries, and satisfy other daily living expenses. Accordingly, the debtors seek authority to pay approximately $11.5 million in pre-petition compensation and benefit obligations owed to their workforce, and also some amounts to third parties on account of incidental costs and obligations. Additionally, the debtors seek a limited waiver of the automatic stay to allow claims against the debtors' workers' compensation program to proceed. As noted in the motion, certain key personnel benefits programs and administrative functions are provided to the debtors and their employees under the Management Services Agreement with Sinclair. While certain of these programs and functions are described in the motion to provide a full picture of the debtors' compensation and benefits programs, the motion does not seek relief with respect to any pre-petition amount owed to Sinclair on account of the MSA. Additionally, the debtors are not seeking to exceed the priority cap or pay insiders under any severance incentive or retention plan through this motion. Unless Your Honor has any questions about this motion, we would request that it be granted. Anyone wish to be heard in connection with the employee wage motion? Okay. Uh, You did a fantastic job. I really appreciate it. Thank you for walking me through everything. I have no questions. I would just ask um, management to just communicate how important the court finds this motion. Um, everybody focuses on the other ones, but this is the one um, that leaves me with the greatest impression every time I, I take it the most seriously. This is the one that allows employees to continue to uh, receive their wages and, and to have comfort um, that if they work um, and that their insurance is going to continue. So uh, this is an incredibly important motion. I find it to be the most important one, and I understand cash collateral is obviously incredibly important, but um, from a um, my my viewpoint, this is the one that's really important to me. So I appreciate, Ms. Lascana, you taking it with the care that you did and walking it through. Um, it's this is This is the one that people really care about who are on the ground every day, making sure um, and I want folks to communicate that the judge found it equally important. Um, I don't know where this case goes or what happens, but, um, you know, people need to know that on April 1st, you know, when their bills are due, that they're going to have a, that there'll be a check there waiting for them. So I very much appreciate it. Uh, and I'm going to uh, sign that order. Thank you, Your Honor. The next item on the agenda is item number eight, the debtor's taxes motion at docket number nine. By this motion, the debtors seek authority to pay pre-petition taxes and fees totaling approximately $1.04 million, as well as authorization to pay taxes and fees in the ordinary course during these Chapter 11 cases. The debtors' taxes and fees are primarily on account of income and gross receipts taxes of the debtors. 
and payment of these taxes and fees is necessary to ensure the continued and uninterrupted operation of the debtor's business. If Your Honor doesn't have any questions regarding the tax motion, we would request that it be granted. No, no. I'll just take the lead on this one. Pay your taxes. I'm going to grant the motion. Thank you, Your Honor. And agreed. All right. Um, and I appreciate it's a really good taxes motion presentation, by the way. It got right to the point, and um, so I very much appreciate it. And I, I say this generally, and not just to you, but for, for anyone else who's, who's appearing, I, I very much appreciate um, allowing uh, other lawyers to um, participate in, in, uh, in the first-day motions. I think it's uh, vitally important to the practice. Um, and I remember a time where, um, you know, Younger lawyers had to wait to just even show up in the courtroom. Um, you used to, you know, a good day was when you got an extra dial-in that you could listen into the first day hearing. Um, you know, and you know, first time I ever got into court, I had to, I rode with the paralegals, so I acted, you know, I was the person who handed out the red lines, and that was the way I was able to find my way into the courthouse. You, you did what you could to, to get in the room because you wanted to see what it was like uh, and not just hear about it. So, um, you're appearing and participating, and you took it really seriously. And so I thank you very much um, for, for doing that. Thank you very much. I've signed the order. Thank you, Your Honor. And I know, I'm only, I know I'm not the only one here who, at the same time, who, was, who found odd ways to get themselves into courtrooms um, at the time because at some point you, you got in and sometimes you had to sit in the back and then you got the back bench and then one day you got to sit at the table, and that was big stuff. So... Um, it was uh, different times, and I'm glad the times have changed a bit, uh, and we're allowing other lawyers to participate in, in hearings. So um, it's great to see you, Mr. Scott. Yes, appreciate the opportunity to be at the podium in front of you today, Your Honor. Thank you. That ends my presentation to the court, and our next presenter will be my colleague, Xu Pong, who will cover the remaining items on the agenda. All right. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Paul Weiss on behalf of the debtors. I will be presenting item 9 through item 11 in this afternoon's agenda. So the next item on our agenda is the debtors' utilities motion, filed as docket number 8, agenda number, number 9. First, we would like to thank the United States trustee for providing comments to this motion. We have filed a revised proposed order at docket number 130, which red lines marked against the previously filed version at docket number 131-2 to address the last remaining comments made by the United States trustee. So the United States trustee has confirmed sign-off of this revised order. Moving back to the motion itself, through this motion, the debtors seek to approve their proposed adequate assurance of payment for future utility services, prohibit the utility companies from altering reducing or discontinuing services, and approve the debtor's proposed procedures for resolving additional adequate assurance requests. To provide their utility companies adequate assurance of payments, the debtors propose to deposit an amount equal to approximately 50% of the debtor's average monthly cost of utility services, which is approximately 110000 into a segregated account. We are not aware of any existing defaults and we plan to pay all post-petition amounts to the utility companies when due. 
seeking the approval of certain customary uh, adequate assurance procedures, which sets forth a streamlined process to address any request for additional adequate assurance. So unless Your Honor has any questions, I will respectfully request that you enter the order as revised at docket number 130. Anyone wish to be heard in connection with the utilities motion? It was really nice to the United States trustee. Really, thank you up front. I like that. It was a uh, good strategy there. I, uh, I, um, I've, I've reviewed the proposed form of order and the utilities motion. It's been properly served and noticed for today. Um, the, the form of order is customary in our district, uh, and the proposed form of adequate uh, assurance is appropriate here. So I'm going to grant um, the utilities motion. Thank you, Your Honor. Really appreciate it. So, continuing forward, I would like to go to the creditor matrix motion, which is at agenda item 10, docket number 5. At this motion, the debtors request authority to file a consolidated creditor matrix and consolidated list of the debtors' top 30 largest unsecured creditors across all the debtors instead of on an individual basis. Additionally, the debtors seek to redact certain personally identifiable information of creditors who are natural persons. And lastly, the debtors are seeking approval of the notice of commencement attached to the motion as Exhibit 1 and authority to mail a single notice to the parties listed on the creditor matrix to advise them of both the commencement of these Chapter 11 cases and the 341 meeting. Unless Your Honor has any questions, I would respectfully request that you enter the order attached to the motion at docket number 5. Yeah, I'm going to just... Ask, does anyone wish to be heard in connection with the creditor matrix motion? I find it's customary in our district. I've reviewed the proposed form of order um, based on the declarations that are filed in my review. I'm approving the motion. It's approved. Thank you, Your Honor. Moving on to the last item on our agenda, the schedules motion, which is that Agenda item 11, docket number 6. As Your Honor is aware, the typical requirement to file schedules and statements is within 14 days after the petition date. By this motion, the debtors request a 44 to 45 day extension on the deadlines to file the schedules and statements. The proposed extended deadline will be May 12, 2023. Similarly, on the 2015.3 report, uh, the debtors are asking for extension to the later of either 15 days after the 341 meeting or May 12, 2023. Unless Your Honor has any questions, I would respectfully request that you enter the order attached to the motion at docket number 6. Yep, it's approved. I have to give you one warning, there are, Mr. Payne. There are uh, some judges on my floor uh, that will ask you a bunch of questions about this. So don't take me as the softy that just got this through. There are some judges that will just ask you a bunch of questions. I'm just a, I'm just a nicer version of the folks on, on, on this floor. So be prepared. Uh, for any, anything is fair games, utilities, taxes, anything is fair game with, with some of these judges here. So uh, there's one named Jones that you got to look out for. But you, you, you'll be well prepared for him if you, if you ever have to stand in front of him because you know he's going to ask you questions. So, but I've reviewed the schedules extension. I think it's appropriate under the circumstances, and I am approving it, um, and I'm signing the order right now. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, Your Honor. So that concludes.
my presentation to the court and all of the items of the agenda. So at this time, I will turn the podium back to my colleague, Mr. Potter. Thank you. Actually, back to Mr. Hogan. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, just for the record, Brian Hermans and Paul Weiss, that, that concludes our agenda. I would like to um, extend thanks once again to Your Honor. Um, I know this is never, I've never sat in your shoes, but I can imagine it's never easy to get a bunch of documents dropped on you on an emergency basis and to get through it and be as prepared as you were for today's hearing. And so I very much appreciate that on behalf of the debtors. I know that uh, Mr. DeVoe, who was sitting with me, and Mr. Freshlack, who I've been emailing with, uh, both very much appreciate um, your honor's diligence uh, and time today. Uh, in addition, I, I would also like to thank the United States Trustee's Office for working with us to make this a very smooth hearing, and really all of the parties that worked with us to get to this point. And unless your honor has any other questions, I think that concludes the the, uh, at least our portion of the hearing for today. Okay. Um, yeah, like I very much appreciate it. it. Makes my life a lot easier um, when there's a great presentation and great papers that are that are drafted. And I very much appreciate all the statements that were made. I think they've given me everything I need to know about where where things are, um, where the debtor intends to go, and and some things that may come up. So that's all I really need to know for today. Um, anything else we need to talk about today? Does anyone wish to be heard about anything today on anything else? Okay. Uh, Mr. Herman, if anything comes up or if anything comes up, anyone knows, they're just a phone call or an email away to my case manager, um, and we'll get right to you. So, all righty. Let me just go up and down the conference call line here. Mr. Herman, if not, I will thank everyone. All right, everyone, everyone's adjourned. We're adjourned. Have a, have a good day, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. You too.